Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. Well, I hope that my research and documentation in my book and uh, begins to provide a logical accounting and documentation of the extent uh, and the, uh, the essential and critical contributions of France, Spain, the Netherlands, and Sweden. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Bill Wenger talking about the importance of foreign money in the American Revolution. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by the Revolutionary War Visitor Center, Camden, South Carolina. Discover how South Carolina's quest for independence turned the tide of the American Revolution. Opening summer 2021. For more information, visit simplyrevolutionary.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Bill Wenger, and he's going to be talking to us about the use of foreign money in the American Revolution. By now, we're all familiar with the role of foreign money from some of our great allies, from France, from Spain, from the Netherlands, and so on. But I don't think we have a good enough understanding of the practical realities of that foreign money, that foreign investment, and where it came from and how it was used. We know what the dollar figures look like in the 18th century, but what about in the modern era? How would that translate? If these kings and emperors wanted to funnel money to the American patriots, how did they do it? Like, in a practical sense, did this money come over on ships? And once it got here, how was it used? Bill Wenger's new article explores all of that, and his interview gives us good insight in his research. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Bill Wenger. Bill Wenger, thank you for joining us. First, I'd like to thank you, Brady, for inviting me to conduct the interview. I most particularly wish to thank Don Haggist, the editor of the Journal of the American Revolution, for allowing me the privilege of being published in your distinguished and most valuable journal, for which I have such respect and have long enjoyed and valued for my research and general reading pleasure. As for me personally, Uh, I'm a retired commercial real estate executive of over 30 years experience. I'm also a college professor at primarily the postgraduate level, a professional writer, and a former actor, director, and choreographer. In addition to those professions, I'm also an Army Reserve and National Guard retired Airborne Ranger Infantry Colonel of more than 42 years commissioned service including four voluntary combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan following my initial military retirement. I've attended eight colleges and universities. I've earned five master's degrees in fine arts, management, business, national strategic planning, and history. I earned a BA in U.S. history and cultural anthropology from the University of California, focusing on the horse and gun culture of the Great Plains, and most recently an MA in U.S. history from the American Military University, 
for which the basis of my article in JAR was derived from my latest book, The Key of American Independence, Quantifying Foreign Assistance to the American Revolution. My JAR article is a distillation of that book. What first drew your interest into this topic? Well, Brady, I uh, had the good fortune as a young Army lieutenant in the 70s to visit and participate in the French National Commando Training Center uh, in the Pyrenees Mountains. I was very impressed, and later in Iraq and Afghanistan, I served with excellent French Army and Gendarmerie officers and enlisted who impressed me. I uh, had the opportunity to discuss with them uh, my interest in the French aid to our revolution, without which I believe we could not have uh, succeeded. Interestingly enough, most of the French officers had very little, if any, knowledge about this subject, which is quite similar uh, to uh, our American citizens today. Uh, during my most recent MA in U.S. history, in several courses of study, from several different perspectives, I researched and wrote about the French significant contributions to our revolution. When it came time to specify my MA thesis topic, I wanted to enhance and enlarge my research and writing on the general subject of the French aid. However, my advisors and the requirements for a relatively short thesis told me that the subject was simply too broad and general and was already covered in uh, some general histories. I was then guided to find an aspect of the wider subject to narrow the study and the thesis as well, if, if possible, to make it a meaningful contribution to the history of the period. During my studies, I had been a bit frustrated by the slim and quite generalized coverage of the French contributions to our revolution as to what the actual contribution had been. I did preliminary research on the subject. I confirmed my hypothesis while investigating the extent of the literature specific to the subject. I also, in the process, found critical and extensive aid provided directly and indirectly by Spain and the, the, the Spain, the Bourbon cousins of the French, as well as the maneuvering and aid by the financiers of the Netherlands. In addition, I found the little-known military aid provided by Sweden. Could America have won independence, in your opinion, without foreign money? <laughs> Categorically, I believe the answer to be no. Most all historians of the periods, and certainly um, uh, are in agreement with this conclusion with very minor uh, exceptions. However, it was not just money, obviously, that allowed the Americans to succeed despite the market failures early in the war uh, and the damaging limitations uh, for the military uh, by the weak congressional support with no real ability to either raise an army or support the army with taxes. It must be kept in mind that over 90% of all the arms and military equipment to include the critical gunpowder that enabled our Continental Army to prosecute the war came from overseas. This included small arms, cannon, uniforms, tentage, and most critically, the gunpowder of which the Americans uh, were without 
uh, through most of the war had it not been for foreign assistance. The direct military contributions of the French Army and Navy were critical to the success of our revolution uh, by their intervention. The foreign officers and troops that were involved, uh, both French and the Swedish military advisors, particularly engineers such as the French officers, de Portel, Crozet, and de Fleury, and many others. And of course, we remember uh, von Steuben and Kozichunko, uh, the Pole engineer, um, who made such grand contributions to our capabilities and mentored the American forces. It must be also remembered and accounted for in the equation of how the Americans were able over time with the maturation uh, of their military to become capable as a fighting force. The advice of the French and other European officers was invaluable to the American eventual success. Further, it cannot be forgotten and often is that the American Revolution was but one theater of a much larger world war against Britain, fought by France, Spain, and supported by other European powers as a continuation of what some historians have called the Second Hundred Years' War. The significant impact and contribution to the success of the American Revolution in no small part can be attributed to the fact the American Revolution was an irritating and highly demanding relatively minor segment of a larger global war, France and Spain uh, had contributed significantly, both military and monetarily, to that larger war. Uh, and that had drained the resources from Britain following the Seven Years' War. This significant and, and demanding distraction for the British pulled their primary uh, forces and focus from our American rebellion. Also, American privateers drained the British economy to the point that the merchants in Britain and the insurers such as Lords of London were so hard hit by the pirates that they, along with the war-weary British citizenry and their representatives in Parliament, were advocating strongly for the end of the American hostilities uh, by the 1780s. Uh, your question is quite complex. And I wrote about the multiple reasons for the American success in an article called Luck and Pluck, How the American Colonies Defeated Britain in the American Revolution, which will soon be published in the um, United Kingdom magazine, Military History Matters. The bottom line is, no, we could not have beaten the greatest military in the world at the time, Britain, without French, Spanish, and other foreign aid and assistance. Who were the biggest contributors to the American revolutionary cause? Uh, first, allow me to state, as I do in my article and my book, that my accounting and documentation of the foreign aid of the American Revolution is only that specifically attributed to the American Revolution. One scholar who read my work without thoroughly understanding uh, my several statements about this in my book took exception to my specific statement that I was only writing about the direct aid to the American Revolution and not the indirect cost of any aid uh, that was incurred by the French and Spanish uh, during the larger World War. 
Spain did contribute significant military forces and actions, uh, military actions by um, their forces against Britain and significant monetary aid and logistic support to the French, but not directly to the Americans as much as they did to the French. Some of that additional aid to the French did get funneled to the Americans, but the predominant amount of assistance from Spain was indirect and uh, provided to the French fighting a much larger war. The fact is, as Dr. Larry F. an excellent historian who wrote the most comprehensive general history of foreign aid to our American Revolution, uh, the title of which is Brothers at Arms, American Independence and the Men of France and Spain Who Saved It. Dr. Ferrario noted most accurately in his history, and I quote, America could never have won the war without France, and France could never have succeeded without Spain, end quote. We should also note that the adroit and shrewd financiers of the Netherlands provided significant loans to the French and to the Americans. The Spanish were predominantly well off for cash due to the plunder of the New World gold and silver. The Dutch did well, and in fact, better than most involved in the larger world war by their loans that were largely repaid from what can be gleaned from the existing histories and accounting. Why did these world superpowers view the fledgling United States as a good investment of their wealth? The answer is pretty simple. Revenge and the main chance to recover from the Seven Years' War. France, Spain, and Britain emerged from the Seven Years' War with significantly depleted militaries and treasuries. In addition, France and Spain lost significant colonial lands in the New World and other locales. France, in particular, wanted to usurp the rich American colonial trade and resources to rebuild their economy. France also wanted to recover considerable territory lost to Britain in North America. Spain wanted to regain dominant control of her colonies in South America from the incursion and threats of the Portuguese, who were allies of the British, and to regain control of the Caribbean colonies as well as the Philippines. Uh, As I concluded and explained more in my book than in the shortened article, France largely failed in her strategic objectives in assisting the Americans. The French failure, coupled with the significant loss cost of the Seven Years' War, uh, which was estimated at nearly $10 trillion in modern uh, U.S. currency, um, for the significant aid to the Americans during the Revolution and the prosecution of the World War at the same time as the American Revolution, destroyed the economy of France and eventually precipitated the French Revolution. Spain fared better due to her stronger economy bolstered by hordes of gold and silver from the New World. The Netherlands largely recovered uh, their loans. Uh, They didn't make uh, money on them uh, per se, except for a minor amount of interest. And in large part, they failed to uh, gain much from the larger world war in that they ended up reliant on Britain, uh, but they did retain uh, neutrality of the seas. How did these foreign powers actually transfer their wealth and money into the hands of the American patriots? First, Brady, there were loans, for which I included uh, 
heavily researched and calculated, calculated annual percentage rates of cost of the money at the time. Some of the loans were negotiated largely by Ben Franklin, Silas Dean, the playwright and inventor Beaumarchais, John Jay, and others, with primarily the French and to a lesser extent, uh, Charles III's court in Spain. Terms of these loans were negotiated for outright payment over time with interest. Other loans were made contingent on payment using crops from America, such as tobacco, cotton, indigo, and other raw materials. Some of the monies were outright gifts to the American effort. These were, in the early years of the war, funneled by Beaumarchais and Silas Dean uh, via a shell company, the famous Rodrigue Portelais et Compagnie. Uh, other aid was hidden from, pub, uh, profiled, uh, the, from the prolific British spies by subterfuge of the indirect provision of arms and military supplies, as well as cash via the trading company of the Garduquet and Sons of Bilbao. Some subterfuge in the early days of the war included military supplies surreptitiously transshipped from France and some from Spain to the Netherlands to be loaded aboard neutral merchant ships and then sent to uh, Caribbean ports to hide the shipments and then transshipped on to American ports. Later, after the success of the Battle of Saratoga in 1777, uh, the formal acknowledgement of the United States by France and Spain and the Swedes provided a more open flow of aid and support. Uh, the um, French military in America um, also provided some extraordinary direct aid which facilitated the continuation of the war effort, such as the uh, 143,640 livres uh, provided from the personal account of General Rochambeau to General Washington to enable Washington to pay his troops who had not been paid for months prior to the Battle of Yorktown. Incidentally, those um, 143,000 liveries uh, was, is the equivalent of approximately $80 million in today's currency. Similarly, more overt, overt uh, monetary and logistic aid was provided directly to the Americans and their military by both France and Spain, uh, particularly after the Battle of Saratoga. A detailed accounting of all of this uh, to include the loan costs, the cost to construct, man, maintain, train, and transport the French forces to include their Navy is detailed in my book and was unfortunately, uh, I was not able to include that in the JAR article except for the single chart that uh, is readily available. For the average soldier during the war, uh, how would they have seen this new money make a difference in their lives on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, first of all, they would have seen the troops of Rochambeau and they would have worked closely with the troops of Rochambeau, there were actually more French troops at the Battle of Yorktown than there were American. Uh, there, were far, there was far more money provided to the Americans that even came close to making the existence of our Patriot Army endurable. 
Uh, quite significantly, the incredibly poor support of the American forces by the uh, limited congressional capability, which we heard so much about in the many letters uh, by Washington to the Congress, uh, show categorically that without the foreign aid provided by France and Spain and the material support of weapons, gunpowder, tentage, and uniforms, the common soldier could never have continued the war effort. Even with this foreign support, we know from Washington's letters, the, the soldiers suffered horribly and were often not paid for months, um, had significantly depleted uh, stores of food, and were often in want of basic necessities. How much money did these nations actually give? And what would that look like in today's dollars? Certainly. I'll be glad to. And uh, I will also qualify it after I tell you the numbers. France, in 2010 dollars, provided about $69 billion in aid of the many types that I have described today. In 2021 dollars, that equates to about $80 billion. For Spain, in 2010 dollars, it was about $16 billion. In 2021 dollars, it's about $20 billion. Now, again, let me explain these numbers, uh, because despite exhaustive research, I clearly stated in my book and, and the article that these numbers uh, can be as much as 30% in error. And let me explain what the reasons are for my qualification. The aid provided, as explained in my article and book, include the cash as previously described uh, in this interview. In addition, the cost to recruit, acquire, outfit, train, transport, feed, supply, the soldiers and sailors of the French had to be computed. The best information uh, on those subjects from the period was used. The cost to build and maintain and operate the men of war of the Navy and the supply ships for them to include the crews, the pay, construction, uh, the time of usage, uh, whether directly for the Americans or for the larger world war of the time had to be computed and considered and calculated and documented. To determine the cost of the time period is extremely difficult as many historians will tell you. The currency of the time inflated and deflated constantly relative to other countries' currencies and even the other colonies. All that had to be considered and accounted for. It's extraordinarily difficult to determine the exact amounts provided in cash, in loans, and the cost of the military support and logistics. The best efforts were made to explain in detail how I did this in my book and unfortunately, less so in the limited space of the article. Next, converting currency of the 18th century to 21st century is extraordinarily difficult, but approximations can be made using reliable economic historians as the references for those calculations. Lastly, and perhaps the most frustrating of all, is very little of the original documentation in French, Spanish, and Dutch 
has been found and few have been translated to English. This coupled with the limited time and monetary resources to research and write this book precluded trips to France, Spain, and the Netherlands to explore what documentation may exist. Keep in mind that with the exception of the Dutch, much of the documentation uh, has probably been destroyed, uh, particularly with France during the revolution. And natural historical depletion of records has affected what is currently available. I would be uh, very grateful for a grant that will allow me to go to those countries and the ability to engage translators to go through the archives, I attempted to reach out to some of the libraries in those countries, but they were unfortunately unable to help me within the time frame that I had to write the thesis and later to produce the book. For perspective, but on the economics, let me talk about GDP. Now, GDP and gross national product are 20th century concepts, but there has been a, an effort by economic historians to reach back into history and to provide perspective on the GDPs uh, of various countries at various times in history. During the revolution and in the 20 years uh, after until the French Revolution uh, took off, the French uh, gross domestic product was right about $40 billion. Spain's was $14.5 billion. The Netherlands was $6.2 billion. That compared to what they contributed to the American Revolution. Again, France, 80 billion, and Spain, 20 billion, uh, shows uh, that comparison with what it cost them relative to their GDP. For the Americans, following the Treaty of Paris for 20 years, it would have taken literally those entire 20 years to have uh, paid back all of the money that had been provided by France and Spain. Did these foreign nations ever realize the return on the investment that they had originally hoped for? Certainly not. The uh, grand strategies of France and Spain, uh, both were large failures. The Netherlands had marginal success. Uh, but again, ended up subservient to Britain. Um, but the Netherlands generally made out uh, more whole than uh, did uh, Spain and France. Uh, Spain or France uh, never quite recovered from uh, the uh, Seven Years' War debt and that of the larger world war during the revolution, which was considerable for France and Spain. And um, due to largely Alexander Hamilton as the Secretary of the Treasury, who properly realized the United States could, not, could simply not afford to repay their debt, but uh, he negotiated essentially pennies on the dollar to uh, over 20 years, pay back part of the debt. Um, the Netherlands received most of the payments that made them more whole than were France and Spain. Again, France suffered significantly because of uh, poor economic management 
and the considerable amount of money they had spent uh, over the last hundred years, and particularly during the Seven Years' War and the American Revolution, uh, in hoping that they could regain the territories uh, and influence that they had lost to Britain during the Seven Years' War. Spain suffered less because they were better economically managed and because they had the gold and silver from the New World. Spain also was able to regain navigation rights along the Mississippi and maintain the control of Florida, larger Florida at the time, and uh, created quite a lucrative trade with the Americans. The French never realized their hope for trade with the Americans to replace the British. In large part, the Americans um, reverted to type and traded primarily with the British, uh, probably because of comfort of the relationship in the past and probably because of the common language made it simpler. How do you think this article helps us understand the revolutionary era better? Well, I hope that my research and documentation in my book and and the uh, JAR article, which again, I'm very grateful was published, uh, begins to provide a logical accounting and documentation of the extent uh, and the, uh, the essential and critical contributions of France, Spain, the Netherlands, and Sweden, who contributed uh, military expertise to the war and not so much finance. Uh, but without this aid, again, uh, I state that we could not have succeeded uh, with our revolution against the most powerful nation in the world at the time, Great Britain. I would say that this is only a beginning, what I've written, and not the end state of this study. Uh, I hope the readers of my JAR article will find the information logical and enlightening, and I hope that they would like to know more details of my research and conclusion by purchasing my book, The Key to American Independence. And I thank you very much for this uh, interview and for your time and consideration. Bill Wenger, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long. <laughs>